Hey y'all, I'm Melanie. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Old North State Podcast. We're bringing you on a deep dive into all things North Carolina. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Good to see you again. Yes. So it is Black History Month. Happy February, everyone. Yes, we made it. We're coming to you from the past, so if anything of cultural significance has happened... Sorry um, in advance for not talking about it. Yeah, we, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. We're excited, though. Yeah, so um, for each of these Black History Month episodes, one thing that I wanted to talk about were cold cases and missing persons in North Carolina, um, specifically victims of color, because too often they are neglected in the media and the cases just kind of die and we never get updates and nothing's really ever done about them. Yeah. So I'm getting this first one straight off of the SBI website. Um, On January 10th, 2002, 21-year-old Tanika Butler was out with some friends at a home on North Slocum Street in Goldsboro. Around 3 a.m., patrol officers responded to a shots fired call and discovered Miss Butler lying in a driveway with a gunshot wound. Witnesses say that there were two shooters and two men were once charged with the crime, but the charges were later dismissed. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Goldsboro Police Department or the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigations. And we will post a picture of her and the uh, missing persons flyer that the SBI has on their website. So, this week in history is actually going to be our topic today, and that is the Greensboro sit-ins. Very nice. Yes. So, at 4.30 p.m. on February 1st, 1960, four black students from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical College. I had no idea that's what A&T stood for. Really? Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. They entered a Woolworths in Greensboro, bought a few items, and then sat down at the Whites-only lunch counter, and then each asked for a cup of coffee. Joseph McNeil, Franklin McCain, David Richmond, and Ezell Blair Jr., who now goes by Jabril Kazan, they met their freshman year at A&T, and they would meet in their dorm rooms to discuss what they could possibly do to stand against segregation. Being the same age as Emmett Till should have been before his brutal murder, they were inspired by the nonviolent and peaceful approaches of Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, and the early Freedom Rides. In December of 1959, Joseph McNeil tried to buy a hot dog at the Greensboro Greyhound bus station and refused. he was refused service. After this, the young men decided that it was time to take action. Very nice. Anyone who's interested in this topic, um, I would suggest watching the HBO Max show Lovecraft Country. Yes. We just got through watching um, the first season, and man. Brilliant show. Brilliant show. Um, Jordan Peele is the producer. And he's brilliant, yeah. Yeah, so it's cool because Lovecraft, the writer, was notoriously, he was known for being a bit of a racist. So I love the fact that they're taking his stories and his monsters, Mm -hmm. giving it... um, themes of you know african-american history in the u.s and it you know their monsters drives along their stories but it's tied in history but also Mm -hmm. science fiction they just did an overall great job with it 
Yeah, and the travel guide that they um, are doing in the series was actually like a real thing in real life, and that's something that I do want to talk about one day. Yeah, the one of the main characters is the writer of the the Green Book. The Green Book, yeah. There's that's just a, a movie that came out about that. I think it won. Is there? Yeah, all the awards. Oh, we'll have to find it. Yes. Sorry, just a little side piece. Of yeah. <laughs> recommendation. The young men specifically wanted to target Woolworths because the company had a policy that anyone except for white people could be refused service. And they wanted to target this particular Woolworths in Greensboro because there's a large black clientele and it was one of the most profitable Woolworths in the area. The men came up with a plan to occupy seats at the counter, ask to be served, and refuse to leave when they were denied service. They decided to repeat this process for however long it would take, and no matter what, they would remain nonviolent. They really wanted to attract media attention to the issue and force Woolworths to desegregate. One of the ways that they did was did this was with the help of a local white businessman named Ralph Johns. Their plan was to go to Johns' store first and then go to Woolworths, and then Johns would contact a news reporter to let them know, like, hey, this is going on. Y'all need to get down there. It's, it's so interesting that um, one of the reasons they go after this particular place is because they can shop there. They can buy yeah. clothes and items, but the second they try to get food, that's where mm -hmm. the, they drew the line. So it's the company clearly wants to benefit off of this community, but at the same time still segregate from them. Capitalism, baby. Yeah. Ugh. So, after sitting down, the white waitress said, we don't serve Negroes here, and then told them that they could be served at the other segregated stand-up counter. So, they had the stand-up counter um, for Blacks and African Americans, and then they had a counter for whites where people could sit down. The men had their receipts. They had bought toothpaste, a hairbrush, some notebooks, you know, little things. Um, they brought their receipts. They did. They <laughs> literally brought their receipts and they said to her, you already served us. We have the receipts. Yeah, um, for clients. Yeah. So the store manager's name was Clarence Harris and he asked them to leave, but they would not budge. His supervisor told him that the men would give up, leave, and eventually be forgotten. Eventually, a police officer did come out Um he even took out his billy club trying to intimidate them, but since they were literally just sitting there, he kind of gave up and was like, I can't do anything. And so the men stayed there. They stayed there until it closed, and then they returned to A&T later that night to recruit more students. One note that I did find very interesting was that an elderly white woman came up and she sat next to one of them and she said, I'm so disappointed in you. And he looked at her and said, why? Why are you disappointed? I'm just trying to be served like everybody else. And she put her hand on his shoulder and she said, I'm disappointed that it took you so long to do this. Uh, I don't know. Like, good for her, I guess, that last part, but it's different presentation. Yeah. She could have assisted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. it, the time. I guess so. Um, I know that I saw, um, let's see, what's his name? Franklin McCain. He spoke about how traumatizing it was living under segregation. And for a really long time as a teenager, he was suicidal. 
And um, he said that once he sat down at the counter, he felt absolutely relieved and completely transformed and that he had gotten some of his manhood back. So just kind of, you know, I can't even imagine the feeling that they had just sitting down and having that huge relief kind of lifted off their shoulders, but knowing at the, still at the same time that yeah. they, have to watch their back. they have to watch their back and anything can happen. Yeah, we were listening to, um, it was a, a short documentary about this while we were researching. And one of the guys who did it was talking about how he, like living in this type of society, you're constantly being told you're less than. Mm-hmm. And he said he got to the point where he, he stopped listening and didn't believe him. He knew that he was like a human being and deserved to be treated better. So that was part of his inspiration. He was like, I can't, I'm tired of being told yeah. that I'm this way when I know I'm not. Mm-hmm. So absolutely good for them. Yeah. So the next morning on February 2nd, around 20 black students showed up, including four women. They brought schoolwork with them to stay busy. So some of them just kind of sat there and read and others did their homework. Mm-hmm. The group was refused service, and this is when white customers began harassing them. They said they didn't expect to walk out of there freely that day. So some of them thought, you know, they would get arrested. Some of them even thought that they would be killed. And by this time, the sit-ins had made local news, so reporters and cameramen were present throughout the day. And after seeing images of these men and women at the lunch counter, the movement sparked other sit-ins to start, and some of these were in Charlotte and Raleigh and other places all over the South. Yeah, I um, while I was looking into this, I found a Charlotte Observer headline, um, February 11th, 1960, saying Negroes continue to protest at diners, and they were actually mm-hmm. re- referring to one a sit-in that happened in Charlotte that was led by Johnson C. Smith University students. Mm-hmm. So it happened shortly after they were they were inspired, and you can read about it in the Charlotte Observer. Yeah, and we're going to talk about um, the history of Johnson C. Smith University uh, the last week of this month. Yeah. I wonder if there's any ghosts there. Probably. Because Queens University is riddled with ghosts, and I constantly get people who went there who tell me about ghost stories that they've heard. We'll look into it. But not one for Johnson C. Smith. Maybe they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, probably. That's okay. Maybe it's that bad. Ooh. Maybe. They okay. are they are like surrounded by cemeteries. <laughs> yeah, Pineville um cemetery or Pinewood Cemetery, which is on the other side of Elmwood Cemetery split up by the highway, mm-hmm. is over there on their campus. So man, that cemetery has one of like the best views of the city. It does. Yeah. Go check it out, Charlotte people. <laughs> okay. So on the third day of these sit-ins, things started to get rough. Tensions started blaring. Around 60 people showed up the third day including students from Dudley High School and Bennett College. And Bennett College is a historically black women's college in Greensboro. Uh, right now, I think they have around 500 students. So it's pretty small, but they still are like an active college. That's cool. I haven't heard of them, but that makes sense if they're mm-hmm. that small. Yeah. Um, the students who were still there just reading their books and studying um, and just sitting there, they were heckled by white people, including the North Carolina chaplain of the KKK, and he was accompanied by other clan members. So it didn't take the clan too long to hear about it and wanting to get involved. On the fourth day, more than 300 people took part and they filled the entire seating area at the counter. By this time, white students and women's college that is now UNC Greensboro joined. Organizers agreed to expand their efforts at lunch counter 
and Greensboro um, at the S.H. Cress and Co. And so nearby. Yeah, Cress is Kmart. No way. Yeah, Cress is now like Kmart. And Kmart or is now was Kmart. <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. When was the last time you went to a Kmart? Um, my mom. There was a Kmart near my dentist's office in Raleigh, so my mom would always take me there. I think if I can remember it. So it's probably been. 10 or 15 years since I've been to a Kmart. <laughs> there was one next to the cookout in Wilmington um, mm -hmm. that was still operating my freshman year or my sophomore year. But by the time I was a senior, it was gone. And yeah. I think I bought something from there. But clearly, I didn't buy enough. I don't even remember the last time I have seen a Kmart. Like, just seen it from the road. We've seen outlines of yeah. what Kmarts used to be. Ugh, all right, That's it, though. Tough day. Yeah. All right. So on the fifth day, tensions continued to rise as 50 white men sat in opposition at the lunch counter. They were, however, greeted with over 300 protesters when some of the white men, and you guessed it, started yelling and swearing, and they were actually removed by police. And a total of three people were arrested. At this point, students, college officials, and store representatives from Woolworths and Crest were meeting to try to come to a resolution but they didn't. So, you, I mean, I bet the resolution was go home. Yeah. Um, surprise, surprise. Angry white men throwing a temper tantrum. It just breaks your heart to see, you know, we've convinced ourselves that we've grown so much. We um, haven't. But we haven't. And I think it's just us coming to age and the media being what it is where we're realizing that, you know, you open your eyes for a second and mm -hmm. you see the world around you. Yeah. All right, so on February 6th, over 1,400 A&T students met in the auditorium on campus and voted to continue the sit-ins. They went to Woolworths, and around 1,000 protesters and counter-protesters packed themselves in. They were forced to leave the store after a bomb threat was called in, and they headed to Crest, which immediately closed. Yeah, the bomb threat was called in at 1 o'clock, and it was for 1.30. So Woolworths immediately closed and evacuated everybody, so they were like, Let's go to Cress. And Cress was like, Nope, we're close. We're going to close. Shut down, lockdown. Yeah. I wonder uh, what the. Um, Just pointing out again that like they keep showing up in numbers, but they're not damaging anything. They're um, not doing anything. They're not doing any harm to anyone. They're not. You they're know, just sitting. Physically imposing. They're just. They're using their bodies to occupy the space. Occupying space. Yes. And other people find, found that offensive. Mm hmm. By March, sit-ins had a spread to 55 cities and 13 states in the South and Midwest. As the sit-ins continued, students began completely boycotting stores that had segregated lunch counters. Sales at these boycotted stores dropped by a third, which caused owners to start ending their segregation policies. Yeah. Hit them, hit them in the wallets, we found. Yeah. Um, man, it's... 55 cities and 13 states. I like, think... No, I started I, with these four guys. How, yeah. Awesome and I think I saw, um, like, in total, by the end of the year, it had spread to 78 cities. So, and this was just, this was just by March. So, a month it had spread. Yeah. And they don't live, they didn't live in the age that we did today with cell phones. And Twitter and finding out about it within 30 seconds. Yeah. So, uh, just imagine, you know, seeing these images in a newspaper the next day and being like, that's a, 
wonderful idea. Let's go do it. Yeah. You see the picture of these four guys sitting, you know, mm -hmm. just at a counter and, you know, they're not smiling or they're just taunting saying. anyone. They're just being there. And imagine like, if you have never <laughs> been in that situation, like you have never sat at a, a mm -hmm. lunch counter and you're seeing people that look like you do it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to want it too. It's amazing. So on Monday, July 25th, 1960, after getting his salary cut and losing $200,000, which is $1.7 million with inflation for today's money, store manager Clarence Harris asked four of his black employees, Charles Best, Anitha Jones, Geneva Tisdale, and Susie Morrison, to change out of their work clothes and to change into street clothes and order a meal at the lunch counter. They were the first to be served at a Woolworth lunch counter. Today, you can find the original four seats of the lunch counter at the Smithsonian M Museum in Washington. And the Woolworths in Greensboro now has been converted to the International Civil Rights Center and Museum. And it features an auditorium, an art gallery, and it's got 14 exhibits. They're still open right now, but you have to schedule a tour online. And you can also do virtual tours, which are like a, you can log in on like a two hour window. And I think it's only $10 per viewer. Yeah. So by the time that this comes out, we would have. Seen yeah. That. Oh yeah. We're going to do it. And if you want to find out more, you can go to visit sitinmovement.org and you can pick your tour. You can see um, other types of events that they've got going on. I'm sure right now everything's virtual due to COVID, but. It's still yeah, kind of a bit creative. Yeah. So definitely worth looking into if you're in the area. Yeah, absolutely. And they still have um, like the Woolworths big sign out front. So you can definitely see it. Because I remember when we went to see Judah the Lion, I was Whoa. like, that was because I didn't know that they had converted it to a museum. I was yeah. like, that's where the sit-ins happened. So it's a cool spot. Yeah. So going back to Lovecraft Country, though, um, Melanie and I, we always watch a YouTube video after the episode to get an explanation of all the things that we missed in the episode, all the Easter eggs, you know, nods to other parts of the season, things that just went over our head. Yeah, because it's a lot. It's it's a lot. But one of the one of the things that this the guy says um, before every episode that he does um, that I liked is that, number one, um, I'm going to work, I'm going to transfer it to us doing the podcast, but number one is that... Um, History, history is complicated because different people write it and different people have motives when they write it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we read, um, it's hard to decipher where the person who's writing it is coming from. Um, and Melanie and I were constantly trying, like educating ourselves on, um, you know, the history of North Carolina, but also the history of the country and the world. And we might not get everything right depending on where we're going to. Um, but we're always trying to better ourselves in these situations. So if mm -hmm. we said anything that you, you know, feel like we got wrong or that we just may need to read more about, please let us know. And and don't be mean about it. Yeah, don't be mean about it. We're all we're all, we're all just here, trying to learn here. Yes. Um, we're all just trying to learn from each other. So going back to what the Lovecraft County side is, yeah. he's trying to better himself. He may not understand all the context of everything because, you know, Melanie and I are, are two, two white people. Two um, white people. So we're, we're just doing the best that we can. But on a different note, I wanted to add just 
a little ghost story from the area to, to lighten the mood and leave you guys with a little spooky note. But right a, pretty much one block away from the museum on the corner of Washington and Green, there's this place called the Biltmore Hotel. Mm-hmm. And it has a little bit of a ghost story uh, attached to it. Do you want to hear? Absolutely. Yes. So the Biltmore Hotel um, has at least two resident spirits, Philip and Lydia. And not to be confused with Lydia's Bridge, which mm. is also like within 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but for the Biltmore Hotel, it says that the Cohn brothers built the hotel in the early 1900s. The building has served as their office, as well as the office of this guy named Philip, who was their accountant. Philip died mysteriously in the alley next to the hotel, and some have speculated mm. that he was killed after finding financial discrepancies with the hotel. Oh, absolutely. So he, they think that he was... Killed in an alley. Yeah, like gunned down <laughs> in an alley um, for, for knowing too much. Um, and ever since then, guests have reported noise like heavy footsteps, paper shuffling, and loud conversations, specifically from room 332. 332. Mm-hmm which just happens to be Philip's former room. The other, weird. Right? <laughs> exactly. The other ghost is Lydia, um, who was a lady of the night in the hotel um, when the hotel was boarding um, back uh-huh. in the day. She was found to be thrown down the stairs by a client, and now many ghosts have seen her um, lingering around her old room, which was 223. And they actually painted that room pink in her memory. Lydia. Now that's what the website says. I actually want to see this for ourselves. We should, we should spend an evening there. See if we sure. can hang out with Philip and Lydia. We'll also have to tell the Hex Files about this because they're doing their, yeah, gosh, what's it called, Air Boo and Boo series. Where oh they my stay gosh, at that's hotels, so funny. Right? <laughs> I'm more of a fair, uh, fan of Scare B and B, but you know they didn't ask me. But they're doing a series. They stayed. It's so funny. Um, well, of course, they stayed at the Dunhill Hotel. And by the time this comes out, they'll already have our episode where we talk about mm-hmm. the Dunhill um, at our live show that we did at Petty Thieves. But they also did a, gosh, I forget the name, Green Park Inn. Green Park Inn. Mm-hmm, where they had a they had a similar experience to us when we were at the Dunhill where they may have drank a little too much and then went ghost hunting. <laughs> Yeah, definitely check out the Hex Files podcast um, for their series. And yeah, guys, at the Hex Files, check out the Biltmore Hotel in Greensboro because it has two ghosts that are waiting to hang out with you. Lydia is the name of the ghost at the brothel that I visited in Alaska. Um, it It's a restaurant museum now, let me preface with that, but her name is Lydia. And you can watch her story on Alaska Haunting. <laughs> Spooky name. On Discovery Plus, not sponsored. <laughs> In the future, if we have a daughter, would you want to name her Lydia? I'll think Actually, about it. no. Two probably. I mean, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll think about it. Well, yeah. Let's yeah. Let's totally name our daughter after two prostitute ghosts, some sex workers from the eighteen hundreds. Hey, We're they, not doing their memory that. Memory stay. Their memory lives on. That's true. I wonder if the Lydia from Lydia's Bridge was also a sex worker. I think that that woman, um, I don't think that her name was Lydia. From Lydia's Bridge? Yeah, I think I think her name was something else. All right, I'm going to have to look into it. Um, Finley is over here. Finley, Welcome. would you like to say hi? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, thanks for stopping by, guys. We yes. will see you next week. Thank you. Tune in next week. Wear a mask.
Sources for today's episode can be found on our website at anchor.fm slash Old North State Pod. If you want to send us a topic suggestion, a funny story, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at oldnorthstatepod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Old North State Pod. Cheers, y'all. <laughs>